there, you're listening to the Park Rush Podcast. This is a Thing Park Podcast. I'm Tom. Joining me, as ever, is Josh. Hello there. Hello there, Josh. How is it going? Very good, thank you. Yourself? Not too bad, not too bad. Starting to struggle with the Florida-esque conditions here, Mm. mainly because, unlike Florida, none of the buildings in this godforsaken country are built for Florida-esque conditions. So it's going to be pretty grim. 40 degrees, apparently, in a couple of days here as of recording, which is unprecedented. Yeah. Not sure when the last time I was in 40 degree heat was. I I remember very vividly once getting back into the car in the Bush Gardens car park some years ago and the the temperature reading on the dashboard being something like 44, which was pretty brutal. Yeah, but that that always... I I never know if that's like accurate or not because of the obviously the car's been sat there in a baking sun for like 10 hours or however however long you've been at the park so well i'd i'd wager that nobody's got back into their car at thorpe park and seen 44 (laughs) ever if the car had like a a a rain measurement on it maybe they could see like 44 inches maybe yeah but get yourself to thorpe park this week as of the release of this podcast and you may well experience those kinds of temperatures grim out there stay safe everyone uh we've got another trip report for you today maybe it should have oh, been yeah. bush gardens given the conditions but instead we're doing sea world and uh well if i was to treat sea world as sea world treated me on this most recent trip i'd probably just pack the podcast up here and now and turn it off as low effort as possible go home see you later but you I mean we I... usually do more than that, or we do less than that? We have a bad habit of doing far more than that. The last few podcasts have been absolute epics. But uh, I, I'm going to strive to avoid that this week, just because SeaWorld doesn't, frankly, deserve it. And uh, there's, there's not a great deal... <laughs> there's not a great deal for me to say <laughs> about SeaWorld. I mean, it, I, it was controversially the first theme park of the Florida holiday this year, Oof. and... Uh, it was sort of seen as a way to ease ourselves in because it is always quite a relaxed, casual kind of a visit, traditionally. But yeah. this year it was it was pretty depressing. It was a pretty demoralising start. Yeah, obviously, happy to be at a theme park, happy to be in Florida. But by the standards of theme park days in Florida, this was not a great one. So where do you want to start? <laughs> uh, oh, God. Uh this I, I've never liked the layout of this park either. It, it feels all weird. I don't know if you've uh, felt that, Tom. Yes, it's not particularly cohesive. There aren't. It's not a very efficient theme park to get round. There, it feels almost like two very disparate parks in one because there is, of course, the uh, the side of the park that you come into from the entrance where you'll find things such as Manta and Journey to Atlantis and Kraken and a few animal exhibits and things like that. But then over the other side of the lagoon, which you access, uh, most people would access by the the long footbridge, uh, there's a ton of stuff over there as well. And it's just quite a bit, well, it's a bit of a faff, frankly, to get from one side to the other. 
So it's, it's yeah. quite difficult to kind of plan your day. It's certainly not of the kind of Magic Kingdom Islands of Adventure variety where you can quite comfortably just go around in a circle and see everything you want to see. But even compared to something like Universal or Hollywood Studios, yeah, it just feels like a bit of a faff to to get round it and make sure you see it's very easy to skip over things and, and get lost, which isn't great in a theme park. No, no, not for sure. So I guess... The real question is, where did you start on on this day, on this eventful opening day of the holiday? Well, as ever, the plan is to start at Manta because for all uh, the garbage I will talk about the SeaWorld experience here today, Manta is still perhaps my favourite roller coaster full stop. And when we eventually got onto this ride, it was still fantastic. But on the on day one at SeaWorld, we kind of waited around for, I would say, half an hour in, in a line that had been advertised as 10 minutes. Wasn't really going anywhere. No sign of movement. No sort of announcement as regards to what was going on. And eventually we sacked it off. Oh. So we were, we were in a bit of a huff. It was... Uh, if anyone listened to the Universal episode a few weeks ago, it was it was even worse, frankly, than the experience with the Rip Ride Rocket, whereby at least you were getting some sort of announcements and, and feedback as to what was going on and, and how much longer it might be, whereas this was just stone-cold silence. And we weren't even far enough up the queue to at least be able to look at the fish tanks. So... Well. There was really not much going on. It just felt like you were in a kind of COVID hotspot, trapped in those caverns with loads of kids and other people. It's Great, that's exactly what you want. Exactly what you want, absolutely. So it was over an hour, you know, we got there at nine and, and it was over an hour before we'd even been on a ride because we, uh, <laughs> we gave up on Manta, as I say, and, and traipsed over to Icebreaker which oh, is cool. the newest coaster at the park. Yeah. I on guess the, the main the... selling point for a lot of people now. You have to walk f- like through the park to get here, right? So this is over the other side, over the walk bridge. Yeah. Yeah, and, and the problems began pretty much immediately as well with this one because initially we were held at the kind of entrance to the walkway over the lagoon, uh, so it's kind of by that. There's like a grill, I believe it is, uh, where you can, you know, get lunch and whatever. And the, and the start of the bridge, there, there is a, a route to it around about there. And we were held there mm. for a little while and it was clear they weren't opening that until 10. So we kind of waited around there for 10, 15 minutes, finally got over the bridge, got over to Icebreaker. And they weren't ready to open that one either. Oh, yeah. And again, the communication was very much lacking and you were just kind of left to sort of stand around mill about at the entrance to icebreaker and we were there for a good while as well so it was uh it was a somewhat frustrating experience to say the least yeah and you were certainly hoping that icebreaker would at the very least be a really good roller coaster and uh it was all right <laughs> it was uh I think at the time I felt 
better about it than I do maybe now because it is actually it's not totally dissimilar to uh, other coasters that I have done since but at the time it was kind of the first coaster of its type that I had ever done one that kind of goes back on itself through the station has an extended backwards section has this well depending on your I guess the strength of your stomach this really horrible slow motion inversion or this really awesome slow motion inversion. And mm, okay. since then, of course, I've done Tigris at Busch Gardens. I've done that Star Trek coaster at Movie Park Germany. And I'd probably yeah. put them both above Icebreaker, to be honest. But oh, wow. at the time, at the time, I thought this ride was pretty cool and a, a good addition to the park. But it was, of course, very frustrating how long it took to actually get on there. Uh, I do remember as well, I think, I think when Adrian from Theme Park Express came on the show a while back now, he talked to us a little bit about Icebreaker. And he was talking about how unfriendly the restraints are for larger guests. And whilst I didn't have that problem personally... I can totally see why they would be an issue. So it's not the most accommodating ride in the world from that perspective, and that's definitely something that you should be aware of. But if you can get on it, then, yeah, it's it's good fun. I, I don't think it's the best coaster at SeaWorld, though. I mean, that is, as I've said, still reserved for Manta for me. So... Uh, I, I was glad to have done it, and I suppose at the very least, the fact that we were, despite being well past ten o'clock at this point, we were among the first to get on the ride that day. So it was it was mixed emotions, I would say, for Icebreaker. So so you're hours into being at the park, and uh, you've been on one ride. We've been on we've been on one ride. Yeah, in fact, I think the most striking moment actually of the opening hour and a half or so wasn't necessarily even going on icebreaker, but it was the fact that we kind of discovered the fate of wild Arctic. (laughs) So wild Arctic, the classic motion simulator ride. This is the snowman over and out shorts and t-shirts are not proper Arctic gear, all that stuff. Yeah. One of the most quotable thing part rides, I would say. And that is where Icebreaker is, or round about that area. So Icebreaker is kind of just in front of where Wild Arctic is or was. And weirdly enough, the entrance to Wild Arctic was kind of blocked off basically just by an ad for Icebreaker. And it was a little unclear as to whether or not Wild Arctic was even open or if it even existed, what kind of state it was in. And uh, my sister went and asked a staff member who seemed to not have any idea that Wild Arctic even was a thing ever, let alone (laughs) right now. She maybe had started like a few weeks ago and was like, I'm sorry, what? So there there was no sign of life for Wild Arctic and they instead just kind of let you straight into the uh, to the animal exhibits that you used to come out of after the motion simulator. Mm. And I think you've always been able to just skip the ride and go straight in there. Yes. But uh, now that's all you can do. And my goodness me, 
uh, whilst I've always found the animal exhibits in there to be a little sad, especially since the polar bear died, the state they're in now is honestly quite depressing. And, <laughs> and I think if you were like an ardent animal rights person and went in there, you'd want to burn the place down. I mean, take the animals out first, obviously. Yeah, yeah of course. But, yeah. The, but then burn the place down. Yeah. Yeah, it was That's, it yeah. was not great. They've got... Uh, I mean, I don't know what your memories of it are. I don't know when the last time you were at SeaWorld, but what kind of state was the Wild Arctic Animal Exhibit in by the last time you were there? Last time I was there was maybe 2011. Uh, the ride was still there, obviously. It might be, it could have been 2015. I, I, I can't quite remember. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean... I remember back in 2008 feeling that the animal exhibit was a bit sad. It looked a bit grotty and some of the animals uh, did not look happy at the time. So, uh, No, I was, I was never very impressed by the fact that they whipped the polar bear and forced him to juggle while standing just... on the top of a beach ball. That, <laughs> disclaimer, that was, that was never a thing as far as I'm aware. But uh, yeah, hopefully, the, what it is now basically, you've still got the manatees, which are the first ones, first animals you come across in there, still just swimming in the same small circle that they've been swimming in their whole lives, <laughs> and and you've got a couple of walruses. Uh, there was an there was another walrus, I think, that had overtaken the polar bear uh, enclosure, or maybe they were seals in there. I forget. It was all a bit of a depressing blur, to be honest. It was just kind of going from one pane of glass to the next, thinking, "Yeah, you, you, you shouldn't be in here. This is, this is not good." I mean, clearly, I mean, the the fact that the staff member that we asked about the ride had no idea about its existence kind of summed it all up. Really, I wouldn't be surprised if there are a lot of people that work at SeaWorld now who have no idea that the animals are even in there. You know, someone's just going to yeah. walk in there one day and. It's just going to be the foul stench of death because oh, they've just Jesus. completely forgotten that there are some animals in there. But yeah. it was it was it was a weird it was a weird experience. It almost felt like it's the closest I felt to being in an abandoned theme park. But I can assure you that this place was absolutely open for business. <laughs> I feel like that the uh, animal exhibition doesn't really make sense without the ride either. Or like uh, I guess they probably have dropped it but initially the whole point was that you were going to uh like a sanctuary for animals on and that's what the um simulator was was the the journey to the uh you know the science building where the animals were yeah. being looked after and without the ride that whole story just falls apart completely yeah, I mean, there is just no story now, so it's just kind of an animal exhibit. But like I say, there's no obvious sign of what state it's in. And I, to be honest, I think if you'd never been to SeaWorld before and turned up for the first time, you'd have no idea at all that that was even there, that, that the animal exhibits were even there. It's yeah. not very obvious at all. You know, we only found it because we knew that it was supposed to be there and went and asked about it and eventually found our way in, but... Yeah, if you were going there for the first time, you'd be none the wiser, I don't think. So, a weird experience. The whole Wild Arctic area is a little tragic right now, Yeah, unfortunately. 
And obviously we all know SeaWorld are moving away from animal encounters, animal exhibitions and experiences and, and starting to pivot much more directly towards roller coasters in particular. But, you know, you, you've got to make sure that as long as you've got animals there, even if you're sort of phasing them out, you, you've got to make sure they're tip top and in good shape while they're still there and, and it really doesn't feel that way at all I mean it's one thing to kind of let a ride fall into disrepair and and be forgotten about but I think it's a whole nother kettle of fish to have an animal exhibit go that way I just think you know even as someone who isn't on the side of there should be no zoos whatsoever and that kind of that's not ever really been my stance but <laughs> Walking through this kind of experience is what would push someone towards that point of view because, yeah, you just walk around it and think, this is not good. Like, you know, I know I was half joking about it, but in all seriousness, really not acceptable, to be quite frank. Yeah, I feel like certain areas of this park, maybe they need to move, they need to transition away from animals far quicker than they are doing. Yeah, I mean, it just feels like in the same way that you might have an old ride at the park which deep down everyone knows no one cares about and it's time to go and it probably will be replaced eventually they just haven't got to it yet that's exactly what this feels but this is these are these are living breathing animals these this isn't just a slightly run down dark ride or something so they need to get their act together on that front i think for sure but you know at least they've painted kraken uh, so that looks <laughs> nice now <laughs> nice yeah yeah it used to be sort of blue, right? Sort of a, a coral blue or like a sky blue. It, it's now a very Hulk-esque green. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it, quite, yeah, quite striking. Like a, yeah. That kind of uh, aqua, like a, I don't know, like a greeny blue, wasn't it? Like it was. It wasn't green, but it was had like a, a blue with a slight greeny tinge to it. I would say. Yeah, maybe I I forget to be honest. I mean, it's. It stands out a little more now with its with its more sort of stark green just because, I mean, Manta is a shade of blue, uh, Mako is a shade of blue, I mean, Journey to Atlantis is kind of a shade of blue, so to have some to have Kraken now be a very obvious green, it, it does make it stand out a bit more. Icebreaker is a, is a nice orange, which I think you would appreciate, Josh, as a fan of orange things. Yeah, I've I've always from all of the video that I've seen of it, it's a it's a very nice orange. Very happy with yeah. that. Really stands out. But uh, yeah, Kraken, I I still found to be pretty good fun. Actually, it's not too rough just yet. It, it you you do notice it compared to Icebreaker and Mako and Manta, but it still holds up just fine for the most part. They've obviously long since taken the VR out, although there are still. Uh, signs up here and there that would imply it, it's still an option it, it is not and it was not very busy at all either uh, whereas Manta even if the queue had been moving as it should have been there was still clearly a lot of interest in that ride same with Icebreaker same with the uh, Rapids ride there Infinity Falls but Kraken mm. never seemed to be generating that much interest while we were there so we, we rode this twice Oh, and, nice. Yeah, like I say, it is still fun and hasn't aged too badly. So, yeah, I've always really liked Kraken. Uh, it's always been a ride that I, um, I don't know why people wouldn't enjoy it. To be honest, I think it's always been up there in terms of decent rides at, in Florida. Yeah, I mean, I, I forget how old it is now. It must be 
20 years or so. Uh, you know, it's out kind of by Mako. So when you're on Kraken, you, you get decent views of Mako and vice versa. They're both out in kind of the same kind of waterfront area, which is which is quite nice. They both, as I say, look quite striking out there, especially mm. on a sunny day. It's 22 years old. And 22. Wow. It's old enough to drink now. You've been able to buy a gun for about four years. Yeah. Uh, Journey to Atlantis, even older, of course. Sure is. That's been there a long time. Ugh. Maybe they should do a deal with Disney and be like, can we just have Br'er Rabbit over here, please? Because our sort of Medusa woman thing still doesn't work or, you know, that projection. <laughs> is it meant to be Medusa? I forget. Some sort of creepy lady yeah. with snaky hair. I mean, I assume I've, it must have been... I've always thought it was Medusa. Yeah, or, you know, some sort of Medusa-esque villain. Just replace her with Br'er Fox, Br'er Rabbit, Br'er Bear. I'd uh, be down uh, for that. Apparently it's Allura, the evil mermaid. Well, she's well. Medusa needs to get hold of her because she's totally cramping her style. <laughs> but, yeah, Journey to Atlantis is basically wait till, the, wait till the drop. That's when the ride starts because the story scenes towards the start of that ride have long been handicapped compared to what they once were. I think they have jazzed it up a little bit compared to where it was a few years ago, but it's not as full on as it was when the ride first opened. But the drop's still good and the coaster section is still fun. Uh, but again, it does feel its age a little bit and... Uh, yeah. I think I'll, it's a pretty it's a pretty iconic ride. I can't necessarily see them ever getting rid of it, doing away with it. I mean, the one thing I would say to SeaWorld's credit, I guess, is that when it comes to new rides, it's rare that they're just a straight replacement for something. They are kind of just purely adding to their lineup. So I'd mm. imagine that you know there's a coaster in the works at the moment, isn't there? Yes, and that is it, that is that is not replacing anything either. So. I think Atlantis will be there for the foreseeable, but it it is it is a little dated. No one will be surprised to hear that. Yeah, I'll. Uh, here, here's a here's a little snippet about all of that sort of stuff. You know, Allure and that sort of thing. Uh, during its seasonal maintenance in March 2017, SeaWorld greatly altered the ride's theme during maintenance. All the effects featuring Allure, the Evil Mermaid, and Hermes, the fiber optic seahorse, were removed. Uh, the musical score and sound effects that once narrated the emotional arc of the ride disappeared too, and the ride score was replaced with a continuous loop of Rick McKee's original score, um, borrowed from the park's former Cirque-style show, Allure Call of the Ocean, uh, with celebratory exterior music. So there you go. No more removed will Allure to... come to Journey to Atlantis. They removed the emotional core of the ride. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure I'd ever describe Journey to Atlantis as being an emotional experience, but oh, the other thing that was noteworthy about it on this occasion, and this is quite consistent actually across all the rides, but was most evident, I think, on Journey to Atlantis, is that they've clearly got staffing issues. I don't know if they were actively recruiting. I think they were, to be fair. Bush Gardens definitely was. There were signs up all over the gaff. But they've massively cut down on the number of people who are manning the rides. And it's especially evident once you get to the loading area where it's basically left to the guests to work it out for themselves. 
And on Journey to Atlantis specifically, there were kind of families and groups and other people taking it upon themselves to kind of look back through the queue and hold their hands up and be like, is there any, any twos, any threes, a space up here? And it was all very disorganized. And there's no doubt, as we experienced as well, I think at some of the European parks, I think that if you have cast members doing that kind of thing, then some of these lines are going to move a lot quicker and a lot more efficiently. For sure. But at SeaWorld, yeah, they, they've clearly scaled back on staffing, whether intentionally or not. And the main impact of that is seen when you're trying to get on the rides because it's just not as smooth an experience as it should be or, or, or that it used to be and still is at the other parks. So yeah. hopefully that's think, something they can sort out. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, with SeaWorld, it's kind of twofold, right? Everyone's struggling staffing-wise anyway, but mm. SeaWorld is going to be one of the ones that struggles the most because of, you know, funding and that sort of thing compared to the other parks. Yeah, yeah. And to be fair, I mean, <laughs> SeaWorld, for us anyway, was pretty cheap to get in. I mean, we went to Discovery Cove, of course, and as a result of that, they basically threw in SeaWorld and Bush Gardens for free and the parking as well at all the parks was free. Yeah. So... I. I uh, it's worth mentioning that as kind of a, a caveat, a trade-off, if you like, given how sort of critical I'm being uh, generally of the park, is worth noting that it's a much cheaper day out than Disney, Universal, and that kind of that those kind of experiences. But and I guess to that point, you might say, well, you get what you pay for. But I think even compared to see, the Sea World of old, I, I just feel like it's kind of lacking, and that's why. It, that's why it's noteworthy. Maybe if you were going for the first time, you'd be happy with what you paid versus what you get out of it. But I, I definitely think it's regressed, which is a weird thing to say about a park that's added some really good new coasters <laughs> over the last sort of 10 years or so. Yeah. But I think the overall experience has got worse. My brother felt the same way when they went uh, a few years ago. Um, so I think it's... They've got a lot of work to do to turn it around, I think. Yeah, and that would have been pre-COVID, of course. I mean, yeah. I think you know, you give them some benefit of the doubt for COVID, but as you say, I think that they'd been on this downward spiral for a little while. Obviously, we don't need to rehash all the blackfish stuff and the way they've tried to pivot away from animals and towards coasters. I think there are always going to be some growing pains. But as I say, the kind of the irony of it all is is that the, the new coasters, by and large, have been really good, and I don't doubt that the new one that they're working on will also be very impressive. But just the overall guest experience i think is has has gone has gone down the other very striking thing i mean we we felt when we got our breakfast in the uh, kind of bakery location which is near the entrance of the park just before you come to manta that's always been where we traditionally stop they used to sell strawberries and cream in there in shamu bowls and we've got like four of them still which we use for the cat food uh, they've held up pretty well over the years so this place has got a, uh, a special place in all of our hearts. But the menu in there has changed quite a bit. It seems like there's a lot more outsourcing going on in terms of the food that you can get in there. And it's expensive. Like, it was striking. The coffees especially were kind of outrageous. Oh, really? And I think we paid close to $50 for, you know, four pretty basic food items and four drinks in there which was you know 
about $20 more than we would have paid for something similar in the Croissant Moon, uh, Islands of Adventure, and, and also more expensive than we would have expected to pay at Disney for a, a similar selection. So again, you trade it off, I guess, with the cheaper admission and, and everything else, but it's it still doesn't feel like particularly good value and people have noticed that they've got written on a lot of these uh, a lot of the menus at some of the quick service locations for example that oh hey because of increased operating costs blah 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 we've basically passed on the increased costs to to you our paying guests <laughs> right. they're, they're open about it in that sense but it's written in the tiniest print and uh yeah of course. it took some eagle-eyed person on twitter to notice and take a picture and then i think everyone became more aware of it so that's a bit that feels a bit grubby as well uh yeah i guess in, in a sense at least they're being open with it but again it, yeah then they're at least not trying to sell it as like as somehow in some way ending up as better value for the guests in the same way that like Disney have managed to spin Genie Plus, you know. Yeah. Yeah. The bar is low <laughs> when it comes to <laughs> creative ways of ripping off your customers. Uh, I guess the final coaster just to mention is Mako, which uh, was a lot more fun than I remembered, to be honest. The airtime on that is is pretty fantastic, actually. Bum off seat time is is high on oh, mako you love to see it and i guess that is kind of all the coasters there right i mean the other main addition since i was last there was the sesame street land josh oh yeah yeah I, it feels a bit random I, uh being in sea world but what did you think yeah. did you walk through it we did walk through it yeah it's it's really nicely done actually it's really nicely done they've obviously put a decent amount of money into it and and tried to do justice to the brand, if you like. You're right, it's a bit weird that it's in SeaWorld, and I find all of the kind of, the way in which Sesame Street is spread out over various theme parks around the world, I find really quite odd, because you've obviously got it at SeaWorld here, you've got it at Busch Gardens, which, you know, makes some sense, they're owned by the same company, but you've also got them at Universal in Singapore, and I'm sure they are elsewhere too, and I don't really understand how the rights work. Uh, they're obviously just, uh, you know, doing deals with that, with just about anyone that will that that is willing to do a deal with them. Mm. But I think SeaWorld have done it justice. It's a nicely themed land, bright and colourful. Uh, there are some. There's like a bubble blower you can buy uh, as kind of the equivalent of the Harry Potter wands, <laughs> kind of. Okay. Uh, for some bit of uh, a bit of interaction with certain props and. And shop windows and whatnot throughout the land. There are lots of kiddie flat rides dotted around, uh, a few places to eat, and some decent photo opportunities as well. I got a picture with Cookie Monster, um, the, the man, the myth, the legend, my hero, your friend of mine, Cookie Monster. So that was maybe the highlight of the whole day at SeaWorld. Uh, yeah, it's good. If you've got kids, it's a nice addition, I would, I would suggest. And uh, some nice photo ops, as I say, if you were just kind of walking through it. I mean, I guess your family aren't doing SeaWorld this year, but I was going to, you know, if they were to do it, I'm sure yeah. the kids would get a kick out of Sesame Street. Yeah. Uh, like I said, my, my brother uh, had a bad experience last time he went to SeaWorld, and so he has vowed never to go back. You get one chance in life sometimes, and uh, SeaWorld blew it. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. And then, then we kind of potted around some of the other animal exhibits. I mean, they've still got the the shark tank. They've still got the dolphin nursery. They've still got the seals and the sea lions who were very, very lively. Uh, they're always oh, quite good, good fun to, to go and hang out with. Extremely loud, which is all good fun. Uh, the penguins... Uh, I was always a big fan of the penguin exhibit at the end of the uh, Antarctica dark ride, the trackless dark ride. Of course, the first trackless ride that I'd ever done whenever it first opened. And now, of course, they're all the rage. You've got them all over the place now. Rise of the Resistance, Ratatouille, more to come, I'm sure. So this was a little bit of, you know, it, it had that going for it. It was a bit of a trendsetter, you could say. Uh, we queued up for that ride. This was actually on the a second day that we came back to SeaWorld because we, we basically popped back in one morning towards the end of the trip solely to do Manta. And while we were there, we also thought, well, let's do the Penguin ride as well because we hadn't done that on the first day either. Yeah. Uh, and you queue up for the pengu- Penguin ride as if you're going to go on the ride. There's no communication or sign at all that the ride wouldn't be running. And then all of a sudden... And, you know, it had been long enough that I'd slightly forgotten how the queue works and kind of the sequence of moving between different rooms and holding areas and whatnot. So when we eventually got to what I assumed would be a door that opened up into the loading area, it instead just opened up straight into the penguin exhibit. And we didn't go on the ride. And there was no communication as to why, no sign as to why. Uh, as far as I know, it's never, from what I could tell, never reopened since COVID. I don't know if it's back up uh, since I've been. I haven't seen anything to suggest that it is. And one thing that was actually quite noteworthy about SeaWorld, it did feel like there were a lot more non-English speaking guests uh, visiting oh, than there were like like the the proportion of of non-English speaking guests to English speaking guests was higher at SeaWorld than I think any other park I visited and yeah. the the poor guy who was uh, the, the the attendant in the penguin exhibit was being you know kept bellowing basically don't put your hands in the water don't splash the water that kind of thing and there were just clearly so many people that had no idea what he was saying and were doing just that <laughs> so I was uh much as when I was at Animal Kingdom and saw a goat bite a small child in the petting zoo, I was kind of hoping for a penguin to jump out of the water and slap someone in the face. <laughs> uh, I didn't see that happen, unfortunately. Oh, but alas. I can't imagine that it was uh, far off happening, potentially. I still think that exhibit is, is one of the better ones at SeaWorld, especially in the current climate. But, yeah, the fact that the ride wasn't running at all and that there was no explanation as to why was odd and kind of summed up the whole vibe of the park. Yeah. So that was a little bit disappointing. And we did, though, do Manta on that second trip. We did get that done. Again, the queue moved a lot slower than it probably should have. Again, uh, when it came to loading the coaster itself, very inefficient indeed. But hey, I still absolutely adore this ride and it was worth all the faff when we eventually got to do it. 
And I think, as I said, when we came back from Europe and we did that sort of check-in episode, we'll, of course, have full trip reports from all those parks coming up in the weeks to come. But I think we briefly spoke about Fly at Europa, uh, at Fantasialand, sorry. Yes. Which is their flying coaster and has a lot going for it. I mean, it's absolutely tremendous, don't get me wrong. And it's a launch flying coaster, which is kind of its unique hook. But Manta still, I think, is my favourite coaster. And I think a lot of it is to do with that that massive loop that you do because just the, the feeling of doing that lying down with all the G's it creates. It's unlike anything else. I absolutely love it. I mean, it makes me burst out laughing like no other <laughs> roller coaster and I'm just like cackling like an absolute psychopath for basically yeah. the whole thing. It is, it is a, a great one of those. It's, it is definitely up there. Yeah, I mean, I've only done three flying coasters in my life, which are that, um, fly, and air at Alton Towers. Yeah, which is not air anymore, but yeah. Sure, yeah, sorry. But it is the best of those three. And and like I say, I think it's, yeah, it is my favourite roller coaster full stop still, even having done, you know, Velocicoaster and Hagrid, which I think probably as complete packages are superior roller coasters because they've got all the fantastic theming going for them as well. Mm. But just purely as a roller coaster, Manta is my favourite still. It would be nice if if they kind of gave it the love and the treatment it deserved in terms of staffing it properly and making sure it was a, a really good guest experience actually getting onto the ride. But yeah, yeah once you're on it, it's, it's excellent. And, and of course, it extends to once you're waiting to get off the ride as well. I mean, the one thing about Manta is that once you've done it and it and it is really fun, you do kind of want to get off it relatively quickly because you are stuck sort of hanging there. And the fact that they are very inefficient and slow about loading and unloading now because they have so few staff, that is something to take into account. Uh, if you find that at all uncomfortable, then you'll probably be hanging there for longer than you, than you are used to if you haven't done it for a few years. That's kind of SeaWorld, to be honest. I mean, didn't do any of the shows... Uh, this year didn't indulge food wise after our uh, extortionate breakfast experience I mean I did have some nice overnight oats but they okay. were very expensive and I wouldn't wouldn't do them again right. and Pastel John uh, I'm just looking back uh, to April 19th which was our first day at SeaWorld here and, and he was giving me some feedback on some of the issues I was raising and uh and he said, sounds like a normal SeaWorld experience. If SeaWorld could get better communication with guests, they could really be a premier park in Orlando. However, they continue to run like a regional park. Because of that, I cannot get editors to approve articles about them. So, yeah, that's uh, that's seems like a, a, a pretty accurate assessment of things. And, and John says, yeah, it's kind of been on a downward trend since about 2018, which, uh, yeah, would tally with, with what your brother said about it. But I, yeah. I think that it's clearly suffered more than any other park that I was at in Florida this year uh, from the COVID stuff. I mean, even though I think SeaWorld reopened, it was, was among the first to reopen, it was among the first to get rid of various mandates regarding masks and whatnot. It's clearly... Uh, you know, if you told me it only reopened a couple of weeks before I went, I would have believed you. Whereas, in fact, it had been open for the best part of two years. So, <laughs> it's uh, 
I think that sums it up, really. Yeah, it sounds. Uh, yeah, it sounds great. Yeah, I mean, look again. It, it it does need to be stressed. This is a much cheaper day out than uh, than the than Disney and Universal. And yes, you get what you pay for, uh, but it is worth noting that um, that it is a lot cheaper. Uh, I'm just trying to pull up their uh, their prices right now. So yeah, a single day ticket. If you were to buy one online now, for example, uh, where they've they say they've got a summer offer going on, a single day ticket for for SeaWorld is sixty eight dollars. And you compare that to Disney, I mean, that's almost half the price there. And and yeah. even compared to Universal as well, I mean, that's going to be a hundred dollars or so, isn't it? So, I mean, I don't, I doubt many people do it this way. Clearly, if you're going to Orlando for a trip, then you're more likely going to be getting multi day tickets for various parks. And uh, and so I yeah, but it, it, certainly if you if you if you're a local, I would imagine, and you and a, and a one day ticket is something that would occasionally appeal. Then SeaWorld is is far more affordable um, as a family. And look, as I have to keep reminding myself, and it's a uh, and it's something that maybe goes without saying. This is a thing park podcast, but you know I am a weird thing park loser who has been lucky enough to go to all these parks a number of times and i'm coming at it from the perspective of someone who you know has been to some of the very best theme parks in the world as someone who was who's been to sea world when it was in better shape uh, yeah i have no doubts that if you were going for the very first time and you weren't going with any particular expectations there's absolutely still fun to be had the coasters are very good uh, some of them are truly outstanding and look, there are plenty of families out there for whom uh, still the type of animal enclosures and exhibits that are at SeaWorld would still be, I think, pretty awe-inspiring and fun for kids. So, you know, I'm I'm cautious to totally write it off as like an absolute waste of time. But I think if you're the type of person listening to this podcast, uh, <laughs> it's probably one you can if not dis- totally dismiss, absolutely not prioritise, that is for sure. And, yeah. and worth knowing as well that if you're coming back to it after a few years away, just be aware that there are certain things about it that will not be how you remembered them and not in a good way. You know, uh, you might find that the additions offset some of the ways in which it's gone backwards, new coasters, Sesame Street land, etc. But yeah, it's always striking when you have a, a certain memory of how something was and then you go back and it's not as good as it used to be. And uh, that's certainly true of, of some of SeaWorld at the moment. Yeah, I, I think even if you've never been to uh, you know, a SeaWorld before or, or a theme park before and, you, and you're going in without expectations, I still think you come out of SeaWorld with a weird vibe uh, because of how varied the park is in terms of you know you've got some really good coasters there um but then you obviously some of the exhibitions are really lacking and, and should probably be shut down and replaced with something else um in terms of like the, the animal enclosures and that sort of thing so i do think you potentially come out of there with a with an odd vibe yeah it doesn't feel very cohesive and i think previously you could perhaps say that sea world you know, knowing that it was in the vicinity of Disney World and Universal, knew that it kind of had to hit a certain standard to even catch people's eye. Whereas now it kind of feels like it's given up on that and is kind of happy to be what it is and not even pretend to try and be a rival to those parks. 
Yeah. And I think so long as that's reflected in the admission price and whatnot, they can probably get away with it and justify it. But, uh, you know, I think if you, you would never want to go here and feel like you're being ripped off. I think that would leave a real sour taste in the mouth. Uh, because, you know, for all you could say about Disney and to an extent even Universal in terms of how much it can be to go to those parks, generally speaking, you know, they're of an extremely high standard and it would be very unfortunate indeed if I think you came away from any of those parks feeling super negative about your time there. Whereas, yeah, SeaWorld, I think it's it would be more feasible that you come away thinking, oh, geez, what was all that about? <laughs> but as long as the prices remain relatively low and affordable, I, I guess they'll feel like they can get away with it. Yeah, I guess that's true, yeah. But, uh, yeah, that's SeaWorld. I think, you know, bottom of the list for us on this particular trip not what it once was, but in some ways better, weirdly, because of the coaster lineup being quite strong. Yeah, yeah. like I kept, like I said, if you're a, if you're someone who listens to this podcast, you're into your theme parks, you've got a budget, not necessarily in terms of money, but more in terms of time uh, for a Florida holiday. I wouldn't necessarily dedicate uh, time to sea world unless you are super super keen to check out icebreaker it's uh it, it feels it feels lacking uh compared to the competition these days very much so yeah well it's, it's nice to have a bit of a to end uh, one of these on a bit of a downer compared to the rest of our uh theme park trip reports well you know i've got to say it how it is josh i'm 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 a serious i'm a serious theme park journalist you know can't yes, it's always beat been around said. the bush here. Uh, we'll be back next week, of course, with Bush Gardens, which will be uh, potentially the final trip report of my Florida holiday. Uh, there may be one more. Uh, we haven't sort of discussed whether or not we'll do Discovery Cove or I think we should, or you know, Disney Springs or whatever. I mean, I don't have a great deal to say about either of those places, to be honest. So it may well be that we end at Bush Gardens, but we'll see. How we get on. In the meantime, you can keep up with everything we're up to on the socials. Links.parkrush.com. You can find everything there, Instagram, TikTok, etc. And if you want to get in touch with the show, it's podcast at parkrush.com. Thanks very much for listening. Stay safe out there. If you're hearing old blighty, then stay cool. Goodbye. See ya. See ya.